Hi, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This evening, Derek Heather is here. Derek, thanks for taking time out of your night. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, we're going to talk about metrics and indicators and stuff like that. Um, Derek had a post that came out on the second that was all about that topic, which I'll include a link to. And you said you just had another one that came out, right? Yep. I just posted another uh, another one yesterday. Okay. So still I'll about make... metrics. Still about metrics. Okay. So I'll make sure to include a link to that too. Okay. And specifically, there's two things that I wanted to ask about. Um, the first one is about PMO. So if you work in a PMO and you're confused about metrics and what to do, this this might help a little bit, I'm hoping. Um, I had a person in class who at the end of the CSM class was asking about what kind of metrics to give upstairs, like what kind of reports. And, I, and she said, we just keep creating these Gantt charts with sprints that are laced together in them. And I was like, stop that. Tell the PMO you're not going to do that anymore. And she's like, I am the PMO. <laughs> I was saying, I mean, my, my answer to that is pretty standard. It's always, you have to ask different questions. You have to ask them like, what do they need to, what information do they need to make decisions? But the problem is the executives, if you ask them, they only know the answers that they've already used in the past. So Mm -hmm. the thing I was going to ask you, since that's like metrics is one of your things, um, how would you, or what kind of advice would you offer somebody who's running a PMO that is trying to transition from waterfall to agile? Well, the first thing I'd want to know is what type of PMO is it? You know, and I'm trying to remember back to the PMP, you know, taking the test and everything, you know, the different types of PMOs that are out there. So let's say it's, it's one that focuses on, on governance and the development of software. Like they're, they're trying to make sure that the people who are doing agile are doing it right. And all they're getting now is burn down charts, which they don't know what to do with. So they don't know how to create a report for the folks upstairs that says, this is how our teams are doing because we have waterfall teams and we have agile teams. Right. Okay. So they have some metrics, some indicators. So they're talking about burn down charts and they're like, yay. Yeah. Like you said, it's not going to answer your question. Right. So you're going to take a step back and the first step back, well, actually, I don't even want to take a step back away from their current metrics. Let's completely leave that behind. <laughs> Just bail on them all together. Right, because go get at, a new job. Right, yeah. because one, we, we let's not make the assumption that they're even measuring the right things. So let's just take it, take it all off table, and let's start from scratch. And let's ask, you know, what are the things that this PMO is trying to do, or what are the outcomes that it wants? And if you're going to say, well, we want to this PMO wants to ensure that we have good uh, uh, organizational design or a good process. And, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on there because I'm going to play the PMO part and I'm not going to go that deep with it. I'm going to say what we want is to give them reports. Yeah. So that's, that's great. I mean, you can, <laughs> I could, it's like saying, um, I want food. Yeah. It's just, you got to cut it down a little bit, have a little bit more focus on it. The reports what what do you think the report is going to tell you? And okay. unfortunately, yeah, it's not about quantity when it comes to reports. Oh, actually, that that gives me that's something I want to say. Then, when you collect the data in order to generate this report or generate mm-hmm. the metric, that robs you of capacity. And so, if we're thinking from a lean perspective here, that's just all waste. If that report does not provide value, it's just like software. If you're generating, if you're writing code and you're creating content or, or product and it's not valuable, it's wasted effort, wasted time. And these reports and metrics are the same way. It takes effort to generate them. And if they don't provide value to a consumer, whoever that consumer is, 
well, then it, everything was wasted. Okay. Can I play devil's advocate? Sure. All right. I'm the PMO director for okay. the moment. The value that I get out of the report is that I give it to the people upstairs because it's what they're asking me for. And if I say to them, this report is waste, they're going to say, no, it's not. How will I know what's going on? How do I make sure everyone's working the way they're supposed to be working? Okay. So I think for the PMO's perspective, the value is they give people things they're expecting. Okay. But you see, you gave me the answer I was looking for. We want to know if people are working how they should be working. Right. Okay. So that's the outcome they really want. They want, they want certainty or they want to be informed if people are working or not working in the manner in which they should. Correct. So they've, they've made an agreement. So let's say that this PMO or this organization, uh, they had to go through a, like a SOX audit. Okay. Okay. So in the SOX audit, they're going to define their process flow. It has to be done during, for a SOC, to pass a SOX audit. And you have to be aware of what your process is. And if people are not following the process or their variations of the process, well, then you're essentially in violation of some controls. Um, and so, that, so the PMO wants to have some certainty that you are not in violation of certain controls. Okay. That's, that is an outcome that we're, that we're trying to put our hands around. Okay. Right. So, so the question is, is if the outcome is we want to ensure that we are not violating any controls from a SOX audit, well, then, then we're going to take us, take it a step down because just kind of big and ask what the key results are that we want to get out of that. The key results are really, I look at it from polar ends of, of the spectrum. One is inclusive. One is exclusive. How do we know what we are doing within the controls and what do we know that we're doing outside of the controls or violations okay. now? And from there, then we can measure it. So you can measure compliance. We can measure compliance. Okay. And then we can talk about percentage of compliance. We can talk about number of violations or how much work can go through the system that is compliant or not compliant. There's a lot of ways we can slice and dice it from that point. But if we back it up and we look at it from a compliance standpoint, then we have something to put our hands around. Okay. So can I switch gears? Because that, sure. that, that makes sense. But what if... I'm in an organization. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the in the article that came out on the second about tracking things like variance and looking at, you know, amount of planned work accepted and things like that. Or, you know, when I've done it with Jessica, she's talked about increases in velocity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's metrics you can use to understand the relative health of a team. Yeah. And I think we probably agree that if if you if the company felt some disturbing compulsion to compare one team to another they could do it that way but what if across the portfolio you've got some scrum teams some kanban teams and some waterfall teams mm -hmm. and you're the director of the pmo who has to be able to tell the folks upstairs this is what's happening across the organization mm -hmm. how are you going to put all that stuff together and show you know maybe it's like earned value stuff plus the scrum stuff plus cycle time from comp like what do you do with that well so what i would do and again if i understand the question it is let's say we have multiple different ways of doing work work yep and the thing is how do we have common a common set of metrics that we can well doing and measuring work mm -hmm. right because each one of these approaches is is focused on 
measuring different things. Right. And so the so the way I would do that is you can be general in your perspective of it. And so in my article, what I talked about is the outcome that we wanted to do. So let's let's use the article as the example. Okay. The article states the outcome that we want is that we want teams that can plan and coordinate and deliver predictably enough to meet a release level commitment. Okay. okay. So it I didn't say is it waterfall, scrum, or Kanban. Right. All I'm looking for is some stability in the system and some predictability. Okay, from there, what I asked is I had two key results. One, I said, you know, does the team deliver the committed functionality each sprint? Or we can change that. Can Does the team deliver the committed functionality on a consistent basis? Okay. We'll just leave it at that. And then the other side of that, the counter of it was, is there anything preventing the team from meeting those commitments? Now that one, that last one, it's that can messy. apply to it. Could, well, it's it's really vague, but it can apply to all three areas. It doesn't matter. Okay. So I mean, again, think of. So does that mean you're going to like handicap the score if the team is saddled with supporting a system that keeps breaking and that's why they can't finish their work? Well, we want to shine a light on it. Okay. So what I'm going to do is there's a you know from there we don't have to use the same indicators. But what we are doing is trying to get to the same key, understanding the same key results or the indicators are informing those key results. And so what I mean by that is where the key indicator is about meeting the commitment of what you're doing, you know, for a scrum, you know, for a scrum team, I might be looking at a completion ratio based on sprint planning and the sprint review, Sure. you know, okay. But for a Kanban team, I might be looking at flow. I might be Mm -hmm. looking at cycle time, lead time throughput. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like Kanban, we're looking at throughput, whereas uh, Scrum, we're going to look at velocity. Okay. Still generally, generally the same thing. And uh, for waterfalls, the same thing. The only difference with waterfall is we're going to have a much broader, we're going to have a wider range of time in order to measure some actual output. Well, there's other stuff too. Like you have a thing in the article about um, health of the backlog, right? So we could say right. what percent of the backlog has actually been estimated? How has it grown or shrunk over the past X amount of time? And if you compare like a scrum team to a waterfall team, the waterfall team's always going to say, oh, the backlog's totally locked down. Everything's estimated and they're going to look great. And the scrum team, well, yeah, they're kind of all over the road there. Well, back in the day when I was advising an agency, a federal agency, one of the key metrics we had was requirements of volatility. And so, sure, we had we had plenty of requirements, but the question is they were changing all the time. You know, okay. it was like, it was really, really near term. It was, they were, oh, absolutely. They were locked down until it was time to actually do the work. And then the requirement okay. change at the last minute. Uh, and we called that requirements volatility. And that was, yeah, we okay. locked it down six months ago. Did we you change wrong. it? Yeah. Okay. And so, okay. so that was, so that requirements volatility, if the score was high, it was preventing the team from meeting a commitment because, well, it could be a leading indicator that they were not going to meet their commitment. Because we didn't realize that we were going to have to change the requirements. Something in the system changed between when we originally wrote the requirement and we were ready to actually write the code. Okay. Okay. So it's the same reason why we want good, healthy backlogs for Scrum teams. It's just that we accept that the requirements are going to change in Scrum, whereas in Waterfall, we we try to believe that you know that they're all locked down. Okay. So but let they, me ask. They have the same effect. I want to ask a follow-up question to this. So. Mm-hmm. If I'm in an organization, no matter what kind of work we're doing, we can track the health of, there's a way to figure out the health of the backlog. There's a way to figure out the health of the team. And there's probably even a way to put that stuff together. 
mm-hmm. somehow so you could communicate upstairs. So they're going to say upstairs, how are we tracking towards the release? And you're going to say, well, the health of the waterfall team is 67.5 and the health of the scrum team is 78.9 and the health of the Kanban team and the executives. Gonna, I don't care about health. Tell me about the release. Yeah. That's what we care about. So yeah. does that mean we're going to be going at things, just looking at like variant? That's where the predictability comes in, I guess. Well, yes. And so let me, let me deconstruct this a little bit. The outcome that we want about the release, that's the lagging indicator. That's what we really care about upstairs. Yeah. Now downstairs where, where we're actually building widgets or whatever we're doing, those leading indicators that we were just talking about being about team availability or ready backlog or completion or velocity where all these things, these are all leading indicators and these are going to help inform us if we're going to go off the rails or not, or if we're going to be able to meet that commitment. Okay. So once you hit that release, it's done. You know, there's nothing you can do about it once it's done. Whereas these leading indicators that we, we talked about, again, you, you think about like, what was the, uh, the government site? Was it health, healthcare, healthcare. healthcare.gov, yeah. yep. you know, if they would have seen the requirements volatility earlier yeah. and they were able to address that, they wouldn't have had such, you know, such Suck-ish. an issue towards the end, <laughs> yeah. you know, and because it was a leading indicator, but they chose to ignore it. They just okay. kept accept, they kept accepting change requests, even though they were not moving the release date out. Which is understandable in a certain respect, given the amount of pressure they were under. It's easy to see why people would shy away from the ugly there. Yeah. But, Maybe not responsible, but understandable. Yeah. So I, I do recognize they were under a lot of pressure, but if they would have surfaced or recognized the value of the leading indicators, yeah. you know, all they knew was... That date's not changing, and we got to get this system operational. Okay. You know, and so again, not throwing shade at them. You know, they were yeah, doing what, what they were doing, but the leading indicators would have informed them earlier. And it didn't matter if it was a waterfall team or a scrum team. We just believe that if they were a scrum team and they accepted that things were going to change, yeah. you know, that they would have had a mechanism to say, "Hey, let's get this baked now, and let's do this on day two. Okay. So. I have another question I want to ask you in a second, but before we get there, if somebody's listening that works in a PMO that is kind of just barely getting their head around natural, like this person who was in my CSM class, are there things you're aware of that they can brush up on or study or try to learn about that will help them understand how to ask better questions around this? And there might not be. I'm just... Well, I mean, my... Pat, like how did you figure of, this stuff out? How did I figure this out? Okay. So many years ago when I was, again, I, I was advising a federal agency and we had a lot of metrics and that's where um, I came across a paper. I think it was published from University of Maryland. And so I, mean, I was literally working, you know, five minutes from University of Maryland and it was about goal question metric. Okay. And actually I'm searching it really quick. Uh, goal we'll put question a link metric. to it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. And so, I've done podcasts, I think, with John Tanner about this too. Yeah. As well as probably you before. Yep. So yeah. So I wrote a piece probably in ninety. Mm, so it was like ten years ago. Let's just say that. You, you should have said it was like aught four. What was that? Sounded, you should have said something like aught four. You could have gone with the zeros, and you would have sounded like an old man. <laughs> no, I'm already an old man. But. Um, <laughs> But my point was, I wrote this piece, and I I, I didn't invent it, but uh, 
but you shared it, shared the information. I shared it, and that was the basis of my the way I've done it. So oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah, May 15, 2009 is when I wrote this piece. And Aught 9, there you go. Aught 9. Yeah, back um, in Aught 9. And so this one was based on this guy, uh, Basili or something like that. And his what he his paper that he published was from 1990. Okay. So it's just been around. It's just not been maybe known amongst our community. Right. And I think, yeah, it just hasn't been commonly used. But I found it very compelling because, you know, on a super high level, when you're identifying this goal, it's very conceptual. And then the questions becomes operational. And then when it gets to the metric, it's quantitative. You okay. Know, and we're talking about subjective and objective. But my point is there's relationships and you start with the end in mind. You start with the goal yeah. and work your way down, not the other way around. And that's what a lot of people do is they say, I got these awesome metrics. I'm going to find an answer. You know, I'm looking for the question that this answers. Okay. And that it wastes their time. And there it goes deeper than how I apply it, but I like the model. Uh, but it it asks you to, you know, uh, you know, look at the metrics from different perspectives. You know, like one metric to measure the metric type of thing. Yeah. And and again, I have applied that model multiple times. Since then, you know, my thought and my thinking has evolved, where it's aligning with outcomes and key results. But but, but thing, it's a good starting place. Absolutely. People. So I want okay. people to Google. Goal no, I'll put the link in. They don't I'll have to Google the link it. I will feed it right to them. So there's two things, and they're and they're very closely related. And I don't think people will recognize it until you look at look at the relationships. Is goal question metric and outcomes and key results? Okay. There's a relationship there. Okay. And, and you're going to see outcomes and key results OKRs. You're going to see that with you know Google and Amazon and the others out there. And so you sh- you're going to find a lot more content around OKRs. Okay. Cool. Thank you. You got time for one more quick one? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to try to explain what the question was, how I misunderstood it, and the conversation it led to. Okay. CSPO class, I keep telling them today, you're you're responsible for the deliverable. When the thing goes out the door, it's on you. Like Because you accepted it, you shipped it, it's up to you. And this guy asked about how to measure the success of something after it was released. Yeah. But the way the question was asked led me back to this thing that I've – I've always thought would be really cool is like if I if I say we should prioritize my item above someone else's because it's going to make X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware of anybody in history of ever that kept track of how accurate some executives' estimates were. Yeah, when and the thing was live. That's unfortunate too. It is. Yeah, because, because they should people be doing can just that. pull the number out of their areas <laughs> they and, and say, but. Okay, so that so we're on the same page on that one. That's not something people track generally. They don't, and the reason why is because the timeline, the the lead time in yeah. order for you to realize or to, to find that answer is so long that people might leave that company. Yeah. Um. So well, and there's so many factors that contribute to the estimate as well. Right, but okay. you should have again, if you take it a big step back, is when you're going to create. So. Well, hold Again, on. I, I didn't. Let me finish. Oh, you didn't finish. Please, please. No. So then the guy said, actually, what he was more curious about was if a feature is released. So if he's the PO and he decides when the release happens and we ship the thing, 
how does he know or how does he report back and say whether or not things were successful? Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit, I mean, and we're going to go back to it tomorrow about stuff like how are you going to measure the outcome? Is it going to be like, you know, net promoter score or reduced calls to the service center or whatever else? Mm -hmm. But for a PO, do you have suggestions on how they should start to judge their own ability with that? Like when the release happens, was it successful? So I got a little bit. I don't know if it's going to help, but okay. I can. Th this is the hard part: is you know, a product owner is, you know, their one piece of the overall uh, puzzle. Puzzle. Okay. Yeah. And unfortunately, they're they're doing the best they can. The question is: is in one release, unless it is one entire capability or one, you know functional component or whatever some new capability or component unless that whole thing goes out in that one release it's hard to say if that one release was successful or not unless you're using some metric like you know uh <laughs> the success of the release is based on how few sev one sev two uh bugs come back within the warranty period which is a good metric to, to track it is it identifies it's a it's a lagging indicator and it talks about quality you know, and we should again. <laughs> I was going to say it talks about dumbassery. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, but certainly, I mean, we want to ensure that we don't have tech debt. We don't have you know, yeah, messy code. But okay, so let's step back and let's talk about the value again. So, they might not know that you know it might be a single slice of a larger thing that is going out, and that's why it it's hard because. You do want to be able to deliver something that's cross-functional and consumable by the customer and that you can measure against. Yeah. The hard part is, is like, what is that widget that you're shipping? I mean, if it is a part of a website and it's supposed to generate traffic. Well, the, and so this is the other part of it is that they're shipping like nine widgets produced by nine different POs all at once. So how do you judge success there? Yeah. Because they haven't defined. So I'm, I'm going to try to draw it back now and see if I'm on the right page. In order for them to be able to figure this out, before they release the thing, they're going to have to come up with what metrics are going to be used to measure success or failure or what indicators would, would help them interpret that for each thing that's going to be released. Yes. And there may or may not be a way to correlate those things, like to see how these two things together cause this result, this one thing by itself causes another result. That's going to be a much harder thing to figure out how to test. Right. And maybe, again, it's the way they write their code or the way they release their product. It might not be, some of this might not be, you know, they won't be able to understand or answer those questions until a larger thing gets integrated and delivered. Well, or or they come up with, like you sort of just mentioned this, but much more discreet things that they're going to release one thing at a time so you can test the performance of that right. thing then another thing then another thing and you just keep that constant flow instead of once every 6 months right but also it 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 requires a more elaborate testing strategy okay. and what i would introduce would be like feature flags ab testing things yeah. like that because, we talked about that in class right. yeah Okay, so now you really are, you have to have a hypothesis of what you think the outcome will be before it's exposed to the customer. And because otherwise it's a complete cheat and it's not going to give you the value that you want. Yeah. And so that's what they, I think a lot, 
of people do is they get budget, they create something, and then they fill in the blank after, you know, a year after the fact because they have to close out the documentation of, yeah, it did what we thought it was going to do. It, I think it takes a lot more guts and actually discipline to, before you get funding on something even, you have to call your shot and say, this is going to increase rev, top-line revenue by 10% because it's going to do this, 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 this. Well, and that's the whole experiment map and the hypothesis thing. And I think that that is a big deal because people just kind of spaz out and want to test everything all together, and then you can't really tell. Right. And so some of this is you some of the work that you build and release may be intentionally designed just so it's testable. Okay. So, so you can learn something. It. Yeah. Um, because that's the thing is if you just shotgun blast all of it all at once, maybe you're not going to be able to have a good quality test. Yeah. You, you might be able to, or that's why I say feature flags, because we could have a feature flag and expose it to a certain percentage yep. of our market and get the information that we need. And then, you know, the, you share know, with everybody else. and then share everybody else. Right. Yeah. Cool. This was, I really appreciate it. I think the thing that's neat to me about that is it basically boils back down to common sense. Because if you, if you actually took a second and stopped spazzing out and thought about it, you'd be like, oh yeah, we can't actually test 19 things at the same time if they're all tied together. Um, True, but it's hard. I mean, that's yeah. the thing is it's disciplined, it's hard. And sometimes we just, we're focusing on other things and that just might be get as much out as you can. Right. So you know. like the healthcare side, so we want to go a little slower and maintain the quality. Right. And again, then we'll be building the right things. Uh, we'll know what thing, right, the right things to test. And all yeah. these things come back to, we have limited money, limited capacity. What are we going to do? And if we can be more intentional about what we build, why we build it, how we test it, then yeah. it will require. I, I believe that overall or in time, it'll require less effort, and it'll give us the answers that we actually seek. Wow. And then things would get better. We would hope. <laughs> we would <laughs> but hope. the pain is so comfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. We. I think we thrive in the chaos sometimes. Yeah. All right, dude. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. If if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, best way to reach me is actually through my blog. DerekEther.com okay. and definitely on Twitter, which okay. is at Derek Ether. All right. And I'll include a link to the leading address site as well, man. Thank you for taking time out tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, man. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Wow.